Greetings, today's date is April 5th, 2023, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Commodore Chronicles podcast. We're going to take an April Fool's look at a title I've never played before, Devonair and the Hidden Diamond Caper. Thanks for tuning in, I hope you stick around and enjoy. Welcome back to the Commodore Chronicles, a C64-centric podcast featuring news, reviews, guides, and most of all, your feedback. If you want to have your feedback featured in the next episode of the Commodore Chronicles, stay tuned to the end of the episode when the next title for review is announced. Subsequent posts will be made to twitter.com forward slash c64chronicles and facebook.com forward slash c64chronicles where feedback can be left. If you don't have access to those social media sources, please feel free to send feedback to CommodoreChronicles at gmail.com. If you wish to support the efforts of the Commodore Chronicles family of podcasts, including Fine and Tandy and 486 Deluxe, you could do so over at patreon.com forward slash c64chronicles. Currently, there's three tiers of patron support. The $1 Basic Bites Bunch, where you can support the podcast at the most basic of levels. The $3 Fast Load Collective, where you'll be thanked by name on every episode of the podcast and every Thursday evening Twitch stream. Plus, you'll have the ability to submit your own 1-2 minute audio review to be featured on the podcast. Lastly, the Vic2 Sponsorship for $20. This is for the right company that wants to come alongside the podcast and help it grow. Have the podcast brought to you NPR style by your company and have between one and five minutes of the show dedicated to your product. At this time, I'd like to take a minute to thank the Fast Load Collective group of patron members, fine folks such as Chris Pencil, Jim Pones, Eric Nelson, and the bearded son of Nell. Thank you so much for your support and encouragement, folks. And now that we have the details of the show out of the way, let's check out some Commodore Chronicle news. News item number one, GP Cars. GP Cars looks very much like half slicks and half hot rod. It's an entry by LHS for the YLD demo competition at Forever. 2023 robot it's got sharp graphics great sound and uh, it's totally free and you can get your copy at csdb.dk merely search for gp cars news item number two snk versus capcom gets an alpha release programmers john eggleton and gianluca albertico aka john egg and retro gl have released an updated version of their snk versus capcom conversion efforts The new update features improved graphics and soundtrack. The artwork is much cleaner and the new intro, intermissions, and after-fight screens were added. Now with 16 characters, with improved movesets, guard breaks, and reversals. If this is an alpha, I can't wait to see the final product. Great work, John and Gianluca. The best way to find this is to uh, head over to Indie Retro News, and it has a direct link to their download page. So uh, check it out at IndieRetroNews.com. 
News item number three, Lemon64 gets an interface update. Lemon64 seemingly had the same look and interface for nearly a dozen years. It was due a facelift, and that's exactly what it received, featuring improvements across the board, including a dedicated mobile site and a built-in SID player on most games. Check it out, obviously, at Lemon64.com. News item number four, Commodore Forever is back. Commodore Forever, a.k.a. John Kennedy, fell out of public sight in early 2021. He had posted that he had long-haul COVID just before that, but shortly afterwards, the communications and the website went completely dark. In early 2022, I reached out on Twitter and asked if we had lost him. On March 15th, a Twitter user that goes by AirAdam13 left a message on my year-old post with a blog post from John himself titled, What Happened to Commodore Forever? And honestly, the details are so much worse than anyone had imagined. And I'm not going to go into the specifics, but if you choose to read up on his horrifying set of events, do so with caution. It's a really dark series of events I wouldn't wor- wish on my worst enemy. However, the good news is that John is on the road to recovery finally. I, for one, am glad he's back making quality Commodore goods and participating in the community. Up on the website as of today, there's a small batch of Pi 1541s, both full-size and mini, the Shuriken RF modulator replacements, some Kung Fu flash carts, a fast load cart, and a new device called the Firefly that switches the function of fire and up on your joystick. He's got quite a few items up now, so be sure to keep an eye on uh, CommodoreForever.com for more details. And that covers this episode's news. Let's do another edition of the Commodore Years. Commodore Years is a series we've been covering over the last three episodes of the podcast, highlighting the best games by year of release in a rapid-fire style. 1986 is on deck. Let's see what it has to offer. 1986. Tenth Frame by Access Software is a surprisingly competent bowling title with Access Software's standard excellent graphics. Alley Cat by Hewson is an Andrew Braybook shoot-'em-up with his signature solid graphics and brutal difficulty. Just like his other offerings, it's still a really good game. Activision's Alter Ego was an incredibly odd but interesting life simulation. A neat little adventure that probably isn't very relevant these days, sadly, but it is an interesting title nonetheless. Gremlin Graphics Bounder is a neat yet difficult arcade platformer of sorts. Basically, don't allow your brown tennis ball to fall to its death. It is graphically impressive for sure. Virgin Games' Dare Dan, Pilot of the Future, features neat comic book style graphics and effects. Another title I'd like to delve into more. Deceptor by Advantage is essentially Transformers without the license. A neat game overall, but I wish you could take out the transformation or animation. It really slows the action down. Ocean Software did a wonderfully sound conversion of Donkey Kong. Although, I think it also was superseded by the great 2016 Donkey Kong release by Oxyron. Firebird's Druid is a gauntlet-style arcade title with some interesting twists. 
However, it is considerably more difficult. Beyond's Enigma Force is an immersive arcade title with more complex gameplay style than your standard arcade title. Be sure to track down the manual for this one, and this one will surely be in a future episode of the podcast. U.S. Gold brought us a conversion of Atari's Gauntlet. Though it may not be arcade perfect, it's still one of my favorite conversions of the game. Ghost and Goblins was converted by Elite and insults me with its difficulty, often humiliating me on stream. But it's a really solid conversion. However, Ghost and Goblins Arcade by Nostalgia fixes some of the shortcomings that were posed from this version. They're still both very good. Imagine brings us Konami's arcade hit, Green Beret. It's fairly arcade accurate, but it also means it's near impossible. But it's still pretty darn good. Microprose Software's Gunship is often considered the best flight sim on the C64 platform. Though this is another game that you're going to want to play with the manual in your lap. Highlander is the best example of the worst of games on the Commodore 64. And I'm cringing for saying this, but Radar Rat Race is slightly better. International Karate by System 3 and also Epic's World Karate Championship is easily the best 1v1 title on the Commodore 64. Excellent sound, graphics, easy to control, always a big recommendation from me. Labyrinth was published by Activision but is Lucasfilm Games' first soiree into the adventure game genre. It doesn't have as good of a parser, say, as Maniac Mansion or Zack McCracken and the Alien Mindbenders, but it is a very interesting title nonetheless. Leaderboard Golf and Leaderboard Executive Edition are both solid golf titles from Access Software. Really my first experience with golf games on any system, and really not a bad place to start. Rainbow Arts Madness reminds me of a graphically improved Jumpman. I played it for the first time about a month ago. It's a very neat game. Epic's ported Atari's Paperboy to the C64, and it's normally a love-it-or-hate-it type game. I just happen to love it. Epic Supercycle was the equivalent of Hang-On on the C64, wildly fast, with one of the catchiest opening tunes I've heard to date. Origin Systems Ultima 4 Quest of the Avatar is easily one of the most recognizable American-style RPGs of its time. Wildly popular, and I've sadly given it very little time. Houston's Iridium is a fast-paced shoot-'em-up with excellent sound and graphics by Andrew Braybrook. It requires a steady hand and fast wits, as it also features a steep, very steep difficulty factor. World Games is my personal favorite in the Epics Games series, featuring wildly interesting events such as barrel jumping, cliff diving, and caber toss. 1986 is replete with honorable mentions in games that are well-reviewed but I have little experience with, including Borrowed Time, The Detective Game, Dracula, Killed Until Dead, Coronas Rift, Portal, Trivial Pursuit, and Ultimate Wizard, with that last one definitely being a candidate for the podcast. 
1986 was another strong year for our C64, and I know for certain that 1987 is just as good. But we'll hit that one in the next episode and get to our feature review. Devonair in the Hidden Diamond Caper. in the Hidden Diamond Caper, also known as Inside Outing in Europe, is an isometric action-adventure puzzle platformer released in 1988. The publisher-developer story is a confusing mess. Softech International is listed as the developer in the U.S. and The Edge in the EU. However, they are the exact same company based out of Pasadena, California. The game was published by The Edge, a.k.a. themselves, in the EU. However, it was published by Epix in the United States. Weird. Programming credits go to Michael St. Aubin, whose resume is rather small. Merely this title in Volcano, a budget title on the BBC Micro. Softech and The Edge releases include Bobby Baring, Fairlight A Prelude, Garfield Big Fat Harry Deal, Risk, The Port of Shaolin's Road, and Wizardry. And no, not that wizardry. Do I have to say all the epics titles for the dozenth time? Yep. I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. The game series, The Temple of Apshai Trilogy, Pit Stop, Jumpman, Impossible Mission, The Street Sports Series, Sporting News Baseball, and Supercycle. Happy? That was inspiring. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Please continue. Okay. Devon Air is a world-class thief, but Lady Crutcher seems to have gotten the best of you. Old Man Crutcher, a local millionaire and a rather odd bloke, has passed into the afterlife. Rather than entrust his wealth to bankers, lawyers, or safe-makers for that matter... He has hidden his vast wealth in random locations within his home, Crutchfield Manor. He's crafted quite the security system, though. Secret passageways, hidden doors, dead ends, and mutant mice and murderous canaries that were a result of the old man Crutcher's sick experiments. But back to that Lady Crutcher bit. Though being a crafty fellow... You seem to have fallen for the most simplistic of snares, the old closing window trick. The lady merely left a single window open, hoping to attract your interest, and it certainly did, you fool. She left milk bottles on the doorstep and not a single thing running, leading you on that no one was there or was intending on returning for that matter. Within seconds, you were held within her grasp. Her goal? Have a world-renowned thief locate her 12 lost diamonds. And these diamonds aren't just out in the open waiting for you to grasp, but are concealed within the complex objects of the mansion. In my first few hours of playthrough, I've only encountered three myself, and I'll give you an example or two. 
in the rec room with the pool table. Push one ball to each corner of the table and they'll fall through one of each of the pockets to the floor. When the fourth ball hits the floor, you'll see the bottom outline of a diamond fall under the table. And then you're going to take items within the room to push under the pool table to push out that specific diamond. In the kitchen, there's two square stone plates on top of two different ovens in the room. You'll be able to use the pull action button, F7, to drag these plates to the floor. Hop up in the oven itself and press the pickup button, F1. When you gather these, be sure to deliver them to Lady Crutcher. This will be how you score in the game. Now that we've covered the development, the players, the storyline, and the gameplay, let's rate Devonair in the Hidden Diamond Caper. Chronicles family of podcasts reviews all games in the following areas. Graphics, sound, music, gameplay, replayability, we'll give it an overall score, and then compare it to other versions released. Graphics. The graphics of Devonair were one of my main draws for reviewing the game. The isometric graphics reminded me of a lesser detailed haunting featuring Poltergeist by Electronic Arts for the Sega Genesis. If you haven't played it, I'd highly recommend it. However, the similarities end with those details. Devonair features a weird stunted color palette, often favoring no more than four to six colors per room. And the further you play, the more bland the graphics seem to become. Often items in the room share the exact color of the walls. The example of the pool table puzzle I gave earlier is a graphical example of where this limited palette can actually cause issues with the gameplay. After you drop that fourth ball off the table, the diamond drops from the bottom of the table. However, it could be almost impossible to notice. The second major graphical issue of this game is the terrible sprite slowdown. When more than one character is on the screen, one, more than one enemy character, the slowdown can be so cripplingly slow that it affects the gameplay as well. And for that, I'd say graphics only deserve 5 homicidal mice out of 10. Sound. For Devonair being a master thief, his targets must be completely deaf because it sounds as if he walks while dribbling a basketball. And I think this is a serious oversight. There isn't really a large number of sounds in the game anyways. Your footsteps, the chirping of murder canaries, the sound of dropping items which sounds like a digital fart, and the sound of what seems to be a ringing phone. And I think that is supposed to be um, a warning from the lady of the house. And I think it's, you know... I think she's trying to be contacted by the police. But regardless, sound gets five hallways full of crap out of ten. Music. Devonair features a singular music track, and it's pretty darn good. It starts out with a bit of thump and then really progresses into an incredibly neat song. 
really, it's just too bad that it's the only song featured in the game. And uh, it's only featured on the title screen. So I would say music gets seven shiny diamonds out of ten. Gameplay. As an isometric title, Devonair was bound to irritate some, and I would be of that disposition. Your character can only move in four diagonal directions. However, the control scheme uses four cardinal directions for movement. This often led me to holding the controller on an angle, but often I would lose orientation of said controller. It could get rather confusing at times. One ingenious element of the control scheme, though, is the mapping of functions to the function keys. A novel thing in RC64, F1 picks up, F3 drops, and F7 is the ever-important pull function. I wish more titles would have implemented further uses of the keyboard like this title did. Debonair is full of interesting elements like stacking items to get to higher areas in the room, and then they hide items within the furniture in the room. That's a really great idea. However, the implementation of many of these items are hampered by one absolutely terrible fact. The game is simply too difficult, and I give you two reasons. One, you lose health for no particular reason. And two, the murderous mice in the canaries are absolutely ruthless. The AI um, follows you almost to a T, and then they have the same movement speed as our character, and you can't escape them by running away. And your life meter de it depletes well before you're able to craft a getaway. So I give gameplay five murderous canaries out of ten. Replayability. I believe over time a strategy for completing this technically could have been developed. I've watched several playthroughs on YouTube, and the room for error seems to be just shy of barely any. I simply would not return to this title out of sheer frustration, with one exception, however, but we'll touch base on that in the overall score portion of the review. In the meantime, replayability gets three hidden wall safes out of ten. Overall score. Devon Air in the Hidden Diamond Caper deserves an overall score a 5 out of 10. Honestly, I'd enjoy the game far more if it focused on the platforming and left out the murderous mice and canaries, which leads me to how I might proceed playing it in the future if I tend to come back to it. The version I acquired was part of the Game Base 64 pack from a few years back, a release that didn't feature any cracks or cheats at all but I think that's exactly what might pull me back into this game. Invincibility. If the mice and canaries were more a obstacle rather than a game-breaking disaster, I would have given this a higher score. And would they have solved the sprite slowdown errors? I would give this possibly a 6.5 or a 7 out of 10. It has promise, but it falls sadly short of the mark in its current state. Once again, that's 5 out of 10. Comparing versions. Devonair in the Hidden Diamond Caper is also known as Inside Outing, like I mentioned before, and Raffles in other markets. It was also released for the ZX Spectrum, Amstrad CPC, Amiga, and Atari ST. Although the ZX Spectrum version utilizes monochrome graphics mode, 
it doesn't seem to exhibit the same slowdown as the Commodore 64 version. The sound and music, though, are absolutely abysmal. The Amstrad CPC version features vastly improved graphics, color palette, and smoother animations. However, still, the sound is awful. The Atari ST version features even better graphics, better textures, sound, and music. However, the slowdown seems to be back. And easily the best version resides on the Amiga. It has the graphics of the Atari ST version. However, the sound and music are improved, and there's a little bit less slowdown. At this point, I'd normally see what you guys had to say about it, but I received no feedback on this one. And though it received praise from Atari ST user Info Advanced Computer Entertainment, otherwise known as ACE, it was moreover critically disliked by publications of the day. Lemon 64's uh, shows Inside Outing as having a 32-vote aggregate score of 7.78, and Devonair in the Hidden Diamond Caper having an 11-vote aggregate of 7.45. Regardless, I thought I was in for a solid time, but this is one of those times I think I was let down by the numbers. Well, folks, that's a wrap on the 13th episode of the Commodore Chronicles podcast. If you stuck around this far, I really appreciate it. The next episode featured in the Commodore Chronicles family of podcast is an episode of Fine and Tandy, featuring Sierra Online's classic adventure, Space Quest I, The Sarian Encounter. After that, we'll be covering LucasArts Space Simulations. We'll be covering both Star Wars X-Wing and Star Wars TIE Fighter on the third episode of 46 Deluxe. Then we'll go full circle back to the Commodore Chronicles with a review of Electronic Arts Ultimate Wizard. If you want to provide feedback for any of the titles mentioned, keep an eye out on posts on the Commodore Chronicles Discord server, that's a new one, twitter.com forward slash c64chronicles, and facebook.com forward slash c64chronicles. If you feel so led, you can also provide feedback via email at commodorechronicles at gmail.com. If you want to support the show's efforts financially, please consider supporting me at patreon.com forward slash c64chronicles. And in the meantime, get out there, play your Commodore 64, because it's worth the loading time. (laughs) 